0: Welcome to Hey YA Extra Credit. Every other week, opposite the main Hey YA podcast, we'll bring you a short-form podcast highlighting backlist YA reads either as a form of rapid recommendations or a deep dive into an older book. I'm Kelly Jensen. I am really excited about today's episode. I will be chatting with blogger and bookstagrammer Carmen of Tomes and Textiles, who creates some of the most incredible book and fashion pairings that always make me not only want to read the book she's highlighting, but also make me want all kinds of new clothes. Her discussions of books are so personal and heartfelt, and her fashion sense kills me in the best possible way. We are today going to talk about Backlist, Latinx YA novels for your TBR. And before we get to that, I'm going to let Carmen talk a bit about herself. Hi, Kelly. It's so nice
1: to be here. Thank you to you. Thank you to Book Riot for having me on board. I am a bookstagrammer. And what that means is that I take photos of books and post them on Instagram and write uh, reviews. I'll write Books that I'm excited about. Someone gave me the moniker of has a stack for everything. And I love mm. doing theme stacks, which is very a la book riot <laughs> for all their wonderful posts. And you can find me on Instagram as Tomes and Textiles. And I also tweet a lot. And because Twitter limits your characters, I'm Tomes Textiles over on Twitter. And uh, I'm excited to talk books with you today, especially these Latinx reads that I love so, so much.
0: Oh, and there have been so many great ones in the last few years. Like, with how much more push there has been to increase inclusivity in YA, we are seeing more. Clearly, not as many as there should be, but more. In the middle of my Career as a librarian, I worked for my small town, which was roughly 40% Hispanic. Most of that community came from Mexico. And it was so tough at that time to find books for these readers. There were some, and I'm going to talk about a few of them, but it always struck me as like, what is going on here? Where are these books? Like, my kids aren't seeing themselves in the books that are out there. And just from that time, it's gotten better. And I just think like I wish those kids had those books when they were younger. But I'm glad that as they have gotten older and they have started having kids or the next generation of young people like they're better able to see themselves in these books.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think we owe a lot to we need diverse books. And, you know, it's like we still have to keep pushing definitely for inclusivity, because even within the stories of different Latinx communities, there's really no monolith there isn't. And so it's like you may get one specific type of representation, but there's a lot of different stories within that one group and so it's i i'm looking forward to there not just being like one mexican american story or one cuban american story i'm looking forward to seeing like a huge myriad of them so that kids kids can see themselves because they may not understand like the call for this representation but they understand that they don't see themselves on the page and they really understand when the characters do reflect themselves and their lives and and you know their ethnicity
0: yeah Like, do you remember growing up? Were there any books that you read that you saw yourself in at all or connected with? Honestly, I think back on it now. And I think I was just raised in
1: like a different time Mm -hmm. where I wasn't necessarily looking for myself. And so I don't ever remember being like, this kid is a Cuban American. And their parents, you know, like came to the United States and and all this stuff. I never remember seeing like my specific story. And I don't remember seeing like a Cuban American kid in the story. And I remember we relied very heavily on our library. And even though where I grew up, it's called Tampa. And it's supposedly this very inclusive space because we have the only trilingual newspaper in the world because there's a lot of Cuban immigrants and Spanish immigrants and Italian immigrants. So you know, there's all these things that say that where we are is inclusive. But I can see now that there weren't like our librarians weren't getting books that that included me as part of the story. So the very long answer is no.
0: Yeah. Well, I wonder too. like, growing up in that space, if seeking out books that were like your experience or seeing yourself in books was even something you were taught to want to have in the same way that like growing up a white middle class girl, lower middle class girl. That was something that was fed to me early on and obvious to me too, just through school in the fact that most of the books we read featured white boys or white boys going on adventures or white boys having deep thoughts. And I remember like, where am I in these stories? And yet- there were so many stories that did reflect my experience. Right,
1: right. Well, I can specifically remember, like I loved and hated The Babysitter's Club because I was like, oh, those, you know, like I was, I don't know why I was like this as a child, but like, I was like, you know, I felt like I was above those books for whatever reason, but I still like read them because I was like, I love these girls and I love this like group interaction and, and I love all these things about these stories. And, you know, I was just happy to have, girls as main characters. And, you know, and it's something that, you know, again, I think about, because it's been some time since I was young, that finding girls as main characters was actually the most important thing to me as a reader. Interesting. Yeah. So, like, whether they had, you know, like the same background as me didn't matter so much as, like, I didn't enjoy reading books with, like, boys as main characters. And I can remember, like, going to teachers with assigned reading and being like, all your stories have boys as main characters. And that's boring. I don't want to read it. (laughs) And, you know, and talking with teachers about that. And I was my parents' translator growing up and um, going to, like, these teacher conferences and translating to my parents that the teachers were like, she doesn't want to do the reading. She's, like, not doing it. And, and I'd be like, yeah, remember, I told you I didn't want to read this one. And that's why we went to the library, got, you know, all these paper seeder's cub books or whatever. <laughs> so I've always been a little bit of a rebel and a difficult person. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm happy that kids seek out and specifically that parents seek out these stories for mm-hmm. their kids now. It's so important, you know, and I, I feel like I probably would have developed a little more pride in like being Cuban American if I had seen stories
0: that had Cuban American
1: main characters, you know.
0: Yeah. Let's hit our first sponsor, and then I will invite you to go ahead and dive on in. We have such an awesome array of titles to talk about. But first is our sponsor, which is another great title. It's This Is My America by Kim Johnson, and it's The Hate You Give meets Just Mercy in an unflinching yet uplifting novel that explores the racist injustices in the American justice system. Every week, Tracy Beaumont writes to Innocence X, asking the organization to help her father, an innocent black man on death row. But then the unthinkable happens Tracy's older brother, Jamal, is accused of killing a white girl. Determined to save him, Tracy investigates what really happened that night. How far will she have to go for justice? This is My America is a perfect mystery for anti-racist reading and for fans of Nick Stone and Karen McManus. This is a great book. I love this one. And that is This is My America by Kim Johnson. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I am
1: so excited to read that book. You don't even know. I just got it last week and it's on my pile and it just listening to you. I'm like, why am I not reading this right now?
0: <laughs> because you're reading so much. It's just, that's the, the trapping of being a person who likes books is it's like, you you know about them, you're excited about them, but you're also reading other things. So it's like, you can't, if only you could read multiple things at one time at the same time and like get through all of your TBR in one sitting. If I had a superpower, that would be what I would want it to be, like truly. (laughs) I see no
1: downsides to it. I really don't. I don't either. There's so many books that I really want to read. And yeah, making time for it is definitely a challenge. But this is one that's super high up on my TBR. And I got it. And I was like, look, I promised myself I would read it by the end of September. So
0: I'm reading it soon. Yeah, for sure. So do you want to do you want to start us out? What what's the first book you want to highlight? Sure. So the first book I would
1: like to highlight, it was my favorite 2019 read and it's called Don't Date Rosa Santos by Nina Moreno. And I actually when you said books that were a year or older, I literally <laughs> immediately went to the calendar and I was like, I think this was last mm-hmm. May, so I'm good. <laughs> so I know this is a little ah. bit cheating, but it is a 2019. And I just love this book. This book was uh, Nina's debut novel. And um, the story is just so interesting. Um, it takes place in this town in Florida, fictional town, I should say, called Port Coral. And um, it's about this girl, Rosa, who she's being raised by her grandmother, who's a known healer in town. And we don't know where her mother is, and but where her mother is at the beginning of the novel. But then you find out that there's some more nefarious, kind of darker things that have happened, and that the Santos family, specifically the Santos women, are cursed by the sea. So they avoid, even though this is a seaside (laughs) town, they avoid the sea. And Rose's mother returns, and you realize that they don't necessarily get along all that great. And so you have this kind of relationship where they're starting fresh and anew, and Rose is very kind of suspect of her mother coming back into town and wondering why but there's also this like Gilmore girls sort of thing with them like even though they they don't necessarily get along there's also like these very kind of loving interactions of trying to understand each other and they have this great kind of banter back and forth and then enter in a very sexy tattooed <laughs> love interest who of course has a boat and loves (laughs) the sea. And Rosa starts to wonder, you know, what the curse is, what her role is is in it, as well as she's in her senior year, she's trying to get into college. And she's trying to figure out what her family college expectations are for her versus her own. And she's, you know, it's coming to story. She's trying to figure things out for herself and make decisions for herself. And it's just, It's a story that, that deals with like the intergenerational family relationships and specifically like Cuban intergenerational family relationships in such this familiar way for me. I felt in, I don't know, it just felt so Cuban and so authentic to me. And it, it's a story that very much like hit home with me and I don't know, I can't get enough of it. I've, I think I've read it three times in the last year. So it's one that I recommend over and over over again to people, because I think that there's something for everyone. There's love, there's the family, there's the town, like the town is its own character with like, like the old men who sit around and they have a gossip blog <laughs> about the town. Like, it's just the whole story just comes alive. And is just so wonderful. I, I regularly recommend this book. And like, it's because it's, pretty much
0: perfect uh what was the name of it again don't date rosa santos and the author is nina moreno awesome i really liked that one when i read it too it was fun yeah which there just aren't enough fun books that Mm -hmm. also offer so much meat to them not that it's there's a problem if you read something that's purely fun but it strikes that like perfect balance right for sure So my first pick is one that is a little bit heavier, and that is The Memory of Light by Francisco X. Stork. And I'm actually going to highlight two books by Latinx authors who are excellent examples of mental health representation. So the first is this one, which is one of those rare books that takes place in the recovery. So Vicky Cruz attempted suicide and wakes up in the hospital, and now she has to figure out how to navigate her life with mental illness, especially when she still feels like life isn't necessarily worth living. This book features a whole host of characters who become support structures for Vicky, and when that community starts to fracture, Vicky finds herself really needing to do the deep internal work of figuring out what the way forward will look and feel like, and she doesn't want to find herself back in that same place that she was before she ended up in the hospital. Something that struck me in this book is that it takes place in Austin, and I used to live in Austin for a little bit, and one of the things that always struck me was how segregated that city was, how divided by race it certainly was, divided by class, and yet the image of the city is very... Glittering and granola and very white, and that's not the reality of the city. So this particular book features a Latinx family in a community that is not white and gentrified, and that really struck me as such a nice balance to the too often like Austin is this cool hippie town vibe that shows up in in many books. So this one is is moving and it's literary and powerful, and I really appreciated when this book came out. It was one of the few that wasn't playing with this really weird trope of trying to figure out the who done it behind a suicide, which always struck me as extremely uncomfortable and unnecessary. This is instead that looking for what it is that can help you sustain a life and help you build a life that you're really really excited to take part in. And that is The Memory of Light by Francisco X. Stork. Oh wow, that sounds phenomenal. Yeah, it was it was great. It was really good. The depiction of mental illness, just really raw and real and not glamorized or sensationalized. Stork took a lot of his own experiences and put it into the story. And you could really tell. Very personal. That sounds Mm -hmm. great. That sounds really fantastic. What's your next one? Okay.
1: (laughs) So I realized when I sent you my stack, I sent you the second book in this and it should have been the first book in the series. Oh, it's all good. So Labyrinth Lost Mm -hmm. by Zoraida Cordova. Now this is, it's a YA urban fantasy and this book, it's the first in a trilogy and the last book in the series actually comes out next month, Wayward Witch. So this is a very timely book if you like fantasy series to start with, because you will actually be able to see the stories through relatively quickly. So again, I think I like these books where like characters are kind of torn between like their identity and like what they want versus what their family want. Because this story also incorporates a lot of that. And what Labyrinth Lost is, is that Alex is a bruja or a witch. And she is in a family of brujas. The trick is, is that She actually really hates being a witch. And so she has this inherent conflict with what she is, as well as what she doesn't want to be. You know, instead of birthdays, there are death days in this book. And she tries to perform this magic that she probably shouldn't be uh, performing, of course, because she's a teen and she's pushing Mm -hmm. her boundaries. And she tries to get rid of her power. And what she ends up doing is accidentally transporting herself to like an alternative magical dimension. And so this story very quickly goes from like urban fantasy like just straight into fantasy cuz she's in this mm. whole other world. And Alex is a very like complex character as she sort of navigates this alternate world and and you know her powers and everything. And what you find out is that she's like super headstrong And like, she makes mistakes, and she owns up to it. She's like, super loyal friend. And, you know, there, there's love interests. But Alex is also like bisexual. And I think this is one of the first, like Latinx books that I read where there was like a bisexual main character. And, you know, it's just, it's an interesting story that kind of parallels this fantasy of being a witch as what, you know, as well as finding your identity and figuring out your life like as a teen as you kind of intersect with adulthood. And the interesting thing about the series is that the next book that I had sort of told you about is Alex's little sister, Vula. It's her story in the next one. So um, she kind of changes focus like throughout the series of who the main characters are. And I don't know if there's a name for that in literature, but I always enjoy that in the series kind of seeing the world and the story progress through different eyes in different books in the series. So highly recommend this one for fantasy fans, for urban fantasy fans, uh, particularly.
0: I also wanted to add that that was one of the titles this year for the Summer Scares program that I got to be part of through Poor Writers Association, United for Libraries, Library Journal, and then Book Riot. We choose three books in adult three YA books and then three middle grade books as sort of the great representations of what horror looks like for librarians especially to promote and read and share. And I I love this one because there's so much going on in it. And because horror is a mood as opposed to a genre, it can apply to something like urban fantasy and still you know, doesn't lose any of what makes it an urban fantasy, but rather adds these elements of horror into it as well. And for someone who is like, scared of horror, <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> it's, you, you aren't so traumatized mm-hmm. by it, because it's, it's, it's you know, Zoraida treats it like very delicately. Yeah. And I had like, literally, an, as soon as you said that, I was like, Oh, my God, i had forgotten that there were elements of horror in it. Like, how could mm-hmm. I and it's like, Oh, well, that was just my brain, like, you know, kind of protecting me. Uh, But yeah, it's uh, Zoraida really wields a pen with uh, very delicate accuracy, for sure.
0: Yeah. My next pick is one that came out quite a while ago, and it's called When Reason Breaks by Cindy L. Rodriguez. And I'm going to start with a note that this book, in some ways, depicts medication for mental illness in less than awesome ways, but it's very much based in the character. So Go in noting that, and I like to say that for readers who, like me, are especially sensitive to that. It's very much not like the author condoning a certain perspective, but through the character sharing their their insight, their ideas that may not necessarily be popular. And this book also has an attempted suicide. It's not glamorized, and yet I think that the content warning is is really important to make here. So... That all said, this is a debut novel that features two main characters, Elizabeth, who is this gothy girl with an attitude problem and is always getting getting in trouble for being angry. And then there's Emily, who seems like she's a really well-adjusted, normal teen girl, but she has a serious case of depression that simmers just beneath the surface. The two girls are in Miss Diaz's English class, and they start to connect with one another through the poetry of Emily Dickinson. Both the girls are Latina, and they both are struggling with depression, but their depression manifests so differently. And as somebody whose depression manifests in ways that aren't typically depicted in pop culture, it was so refreshing to see that. You see two different experiences with this illness. We have Elizabeth, who wears it really out loud, and people assume she has issues because of that. And then we have Emily whose depression eats at her from the inside. It's really quiet. It's really insidious. And people would never expect that she's wrestling with such a big issue. But one of the things I noted in my, when I wrote about this book many years ago when it came out is that there's this moment where Emily misses her period. And it's a big deal because she and her friend think she's pregnant, but it's not that. Rather, it's a physical response to depression and what it is doing to her body, which is something we never see really talked about when it comes to depression, let alone in YA. And it was such a, a moment of making clear the sort of physical realities that can come with mental illness, and particularly when you're really trying to hold it in and not let anybody know what is eating you up inside. I thought that Rodriguez led readers to perceptions of depression in a really thoughtful way, and did huge service to how we think about depression in other people. So that is When Reason Breaks by Cindy L. Rodriguez.
1: I love it. That sounds fantastic. I love the share, like they're sharing everything through the works of Emily Dickinson. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a very interesting way to put everything together.
0: Yeah. What's your next pick?
1: All right, so uh, my next book. So I know we're talking about YA and uh, I'm going to throw in an adult romance novel because I think that, (laughs) uh, you know, we all need a little romance in our lives sometimes. So my next book is called Next Year in Havana. It's by Chanel Clayton. And uh, this book came out a number of years ago. And it is a dual point of view story as well as it's a dual timeline story. So you are seeing two different characters in two time periods. And who you're meeting is Elisa Perez in 1958, which if you know anything about Cuban history, 1958 is a couple years before the revolution. And then you're also meeting a uh, Marisol Ferreira who is traveling from Miami to Havana in 2017, because her late grandmother, Elisa, who we will be seeing in her contemporary time of 1958, raised her with the stories of her experiences growing up in Cuba. And so you're kind of faced with this Cuba at the tipping point of a revolution. As well as, you know, this this girl who grew up with her grandmother's stories that kind of glorified her grandmother's time uh, growing up in Cuba. And the reason I chose this book is because it so accurately depicts the way and the stories with which I was raised by my family and kind of this glorification of the time and this villainization of the Castro regime. The other thing about this book that really just totally captured my heart was that there's this thing in being a Cuban immigrant where you're not of either place. And this is with being an immigrant from anywhere, really. It's like, you're not of, you're not really of either place. And especially if you're like Marisol, where you were second generation, where like, you know, you were raised by the person who, who came here. It's like, you don't have the lived experience of living in that country. And I think that what this book really captures so well is that being something that you're not really a part of as well. And it's just, it's very eloquently stated by Chanel. And you can totally tell that this is something that's very personal to her and that she grew up with. And it really kind of permeates the story in such a way to make it so real. So yes, is it adult romance? Yes. But there's like, even a mystery between the stories that Elisa told Marisol and Marisol making her way in Havana, like along the Malecón and all these things where her grandmother's stories are coming to life and they aren't, some other elements to it are coming together. And so it's really a beautiful story of being like an immigrant spanning times spanning generations. And the romance and all that stuff really became almost secondary for me. And I don't know, I just I really took from it like this whole immigrant experience from it. So it's just to me, the interesting part of the stories that I went in for the romance, and I came out like Mm -hmm. feeling all these things about my identity.
0: I love that. I love that that book could bring up so much for you. And yet, you also get Exactly what you know you're going in for when it comes to a book like a romance. Yes, absolutely. My next picks are kind of going to be a twofer, maybe even more than a twofer. So I brought up working in a very Hispanic community as a librarian and having a hard time finding books. To put on shelves for this community. And one of the authors I discovered during this time is one that I'm embarrassed to still not have read myself, but it's Veronica Chambers. She is prolific, she is Afro Latina, and she's been publishing for decades. Mm-hmm. So I always, my favorite little thing that I found, she started publishing this series called The Amigas when. I was at this library and purchased them right away. So I'm going to read the little blip of the Amigas. The first book in this five book series is called 15 Candles. And the description is that Quinceaneros are the fantastic parties thrown for Latina girls turning 15 years old and are a staple of the Miami social scene. But for Alicia Cruz and her three best friends, Carmen, Jamie, and Gaz, they were also just part of the background until now. So... What I loved about this series is so rarely did we get a series during this particular publishing time, especially when Gossip Girl was huge, when The Click was huge, when these book series about the activities of wealthy girls and Girls who you think are just your average girls at high school, but are really, you know, just white girls doing white girl things. This series came along and allowed these Latina girls to have these similar stories. And I was so excited when I found them. Oh, wow. So she's got this new -er book. I think it came out last year called The Go Between. And again, haven't read it. Which is embarrassing to me, but here's a little blurb for it. She is the envy of every teenage girl in Mexico City. Her mother is a glamorous telenovela actress. Her father is the go-to voiceover talent for blockbuster films. Hers is a world of private planes, chauffeurs, paparazzi, and gossip columnists. Meet Camilla, Kami to those who know her best. When Cammie's mom gets cast in an American television show and the family moves to L.A., things change and quickly. Her mom's first role is playing the not-so-glamorous maid in a sitcom. Her dad tries to find work but dreams about returning to Mexico. And at the posh private Polster Academy, Cammie's new friends assume she's a scholarship kid, the daughter of a domestic. At first, Cammie thinks playing along with the stereotypes will be her way of teaching her new friends a lesson. But the more she lies, the more she wonders, is she only fooling herself? It's got this incredible cover, too. That, As I was brainstorming titles, I was like, there's that one. It has this great cover. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, it's Veronica Chambers because she's written so many great books featuring these biracial characters. And that is The Go-Between by Veronica Chambers. Okay, so I read that book.
1: And I loved it for the fact that it was a Mexican family immigrating to the United States, but they weren't under duress, it was for Mm -hmm. work, and they were well to do. And her characters were very well rounded out. It was actually just a very fun story that you don't see represented enough with the immigration experience for kids, I think. So I would love to see more stories like that.
0: For sure. And I I love that she has sort of taken these stories that are so popular and given teens of color the chance to be the stars in those stories because that doesn't happen very often. And so it's such it was such a treat to find her when I did. And again, embarrassed I haven't read her yet, but I'm very aware of her work. Um, You know, it's one of those things when you're a reader, it's like, you, you know, and then you're like, why haven't I read that, even though I know their work? Right, right, right. Question for the ages. <laughs> I know,
1: I know. The more you read, the more you find out you haven't read. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's really quite the paradigm. Exactly. Do you have another one that you? I do, I do. I could do this all day. Um, <laughs> uh, so the next book is called "The Closest I've Come." The author's name is uh, Fred Aceves, and this book actually is features a male main character, Latinx male main character. And the big thing that attracted me, like the first to this book is like the really great, like graphic novel cover look to it. But then I find out that the story takes place here in Tampa, where I live. And I was like, no story ever takes place in Tampa. So I was like, I have to read this. And the really interesting part about this story is that Marcos, it starts out and you're like, Okay, well, Marcos is obviously he's like, I know living in Tampa, he's not living in the best part of town. Immediately, I'm like, okay, well, let's see where this is going to take me. And it's this coming of age story. And Marcos like really wants to find love. That's kind of like his biggest thing. And like everything else has fallen by the wayside. Like he is struggling in school. His friendships are not the best. His life at home is terrible. His parents are divorced and he lives with his mother. And her mother's uh, boyfriend is not only racist but he is abusive towards marcos and um, a lot of things change for Marcos because he actually gets placed in this after school program by the school they've identified him as you know quote unquote a troubled teen and uh what they end up doing is he has to stay after school and he has to he ends up like by the design of this project, being introduced to new friends. You know, one who's wealthy and then whose name I cannot remember right now. And the other is, I know, I remember Amy, who's sort of like this punk rock girl. And he's kind of forced outside of the life where he has grown up in to see that the world is a little bit different. And the thing that I really appreciated about this story is that it's this love letter for teachers. It's this love letter of how teachers can impact the lives of those that they teach. And you do see like where teachers have relationships with students, but the way it was kind of formulated in this book, it was just really wonderful. And I thought like with everyone kind of going back to school and everything going on with that, it's like this is a book where teachers are really elevated in the story of teens kind of, you know, coming of age and things like that. And the other thing about this story that I thought was so interesting was that it really touched and and kind of tackled toxic masculinity, like very honestly, and very beautifully, because Marcos has to come to a lot of realizations about himself and, you know, like crying on the page and 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 being like unafraid to cry in front of friends and things like that. I don't know. Fred just really has like this magic kind of way that he wrote this story. And he has his next book, which I think is called like the new David Espinoza actually deals with toxic masculinity as well. And I think maybe with like working out and like body dysmorphia and things like that. But hmm. Fred's like one of these authors that I don't hear enough about, but I think his stories are really special and really unique. And I'm hoping he begins to, with more books
0: coming out, begins to gain more more traction in the YA community. I haven't read these, but they've always been on my radar. Yeah. So now that might actually get me to do it instead Yay. of just keep telling myself that. So <laughs> my uh, next big pick is The Girl Who Could Silence the Wind by Meg Medina. And I picked this one because a lot of people know Meg Medina from Burn Baby Burn, or they know her from Yaki Delgado. Mm -hmm. This one came out before those books did, and it's a little bit quieter. And it's a really great representation of magical realism. So this one is set in a small Mexican town, and it follows the story of 16-year-old Sonia. She was born during one of the worst storms that her town Has ever seen, and immediately upon her arrival, things cleared up. So the community believes that she's this girl with unbelievable magic and power because of this. But for Sonia, bearing the weight of her community expectations as a healer is not the best. She doesn't believe she's any more special than anybody else in town, and this becomes even clearer to her when her beloved brother disappears at the same time that she decides to take a job in the capital city. Her brother had told her that making a run for the border in order to secure a better paying job had been a plan of his. So when he goes missing, she fears the worst. And now she starts to wonder if she can use her magic that people believe she has to bring him back. Or does she have to find another way to explain what she fears might have happened and find a solution that brings her brother back home alive? So this story has magic. It- Digs into immigration, the challenges of impoverishment, and I love Sonia. She's this well developed, interesting teen girl dealing with these massive expectations from her community and her family while also working through the challenges of, you know, being a teen girl and figuring <laughs> out who to trust. Also, like, who she has romantic feelings for and how she creates a life that she gets to call all her own. It was this fabulous read and one that I think it's overlooked in the catalog of Meg Medina books, but shouldn't be. And that is The Girl Who Could Silence the Wind by Meg Medina. Excited
1: for that. I just I wrote it down. I'm like, I'm all in for this one. <laughs> Do you have any any others you want to share? I have one more if we have time. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Okay, great. All right. So Gabby, A Girl in Pieces by mm. Isabel Quintero, And I don't know, like she really kind of wrote Magic, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, Gabby's this girl. Well, let me the structure of the story first because I think that's one of the most interesting parts (laughs) of it. So it's an epistolary fiction novel. So it's told through Gabby's diary entries. And what you find out is that she's a Mexican American senior navigating her senior year. She's, you know, she's has a pregnant best friend. Her mother's pregnant. Um, you know, she has a, you know, friend, Sebastian, who comes out uh to some, uh, has tough situation, ends up coming to live with Gabby. There's, there's just so much. There's this whole, for me, the biggest thing was like the slut shaming and, and teen pregnancy and how those issues are tackled in this story. It just, it felt like so personal and, and real, and it really kind of had me like, shaking my fist, like saying, yes, like, this is the way we need to look at these things. And we need to not slut shame. And we need to look at teen pregnancy in a different way. And I don't know, this book just it, it sort of like kind of clinched my heart and just went off. Like, I think I read it all in one sitting, which is why I'm babbling a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, Gabby's father has like a meth addiction. And we have to see like, even though we may not understand why that happened, We see how Gabby struggles with that relationship with her father. It's definitely a story that, that I probably should have, the very first thing I should have said was there should be some content warnings insofar as there is a, a rape in the story. There is a suicide in the story. And so those things may, those topics may not be for everyone, but for those that can read it, I don't know. This is just a book I kind of throw at everyone. It's just one that made me feel very my heart very warmed. And it really made me feel like very empowered. And I think it could do the same for a lot of teens.
0: I devoured this (laughs) book. Um, I loved it so much. And the things that stood out to me, besides what you talked about is Gabby's a fat girl and loves food. And there's no apologizing about that, which is so rare to ever see. And seeing that was awesome. That she is just who she is. She's a fat girl. And also she really loves food. The other thing in there that I loved is that we get to see her poetry. So this is obviously her diary, but she's a poet as well. And we get to experience that. Ah, oh, Yeah, it, it's <laughs> magical. Everyone needs to get this one and read it straight away. For sure. So I've got three, I'm just going to call them rapid fire recommendations. These are quick, My first one is The Devil and Winnie Flynn by Nicole Astow, who this is one of my favorite YA horror reads. And I think people forget about her as an author beyond the franchise books she does, which are awesome, but she has done a number of books on her own as well. And this one is less a scary read and more about the depths of grief and what our imaginations can conjure in times of Being in Deep Pain. This one features a ghost hunter reality show. It features the Jersey Devil, and it also is written in letters. My next pick is I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by Erica L. Sanchez, and it's a slice of life story about the loss of a sister who is always considered to be the good, quote unquote, Mexican daughter, and the immense weight of having to live up to an image and family expectation of what it means to be a good first generation Mexican American. And then my last pick is A Fierce and Subtle Poison by Samantha Mabry, which is all magical realism and all magic. It's set in Puerto Rico, and it follows this boy who is obsessed with a magical girl who is rumored to be able to do a host of things that just don't seem right to him, but he is put in his place as much as his father, who is an investor trying to gentrify part of a city to fill it with rich American tourists. They uh, learn their lesson here, which I just, I loved. Um, All three very, very different books, but fantastic reads. Any others you want to toss in there? Um, let's see. So, uh,
1: The Education of Margot Sanchez by mm-hmm. Lillian mm-hmm. Rivera. This one really spoke to me because Margot has some tough lessons to learn. And I think one of the most interesting things personally for me, my parents owned a grocery store when I was growing up and like her mm. family has a grocery store in this book. So it's like her dealing with working for her family as well as, you know, dealing with like, you know, the parents she can't like, kind of coming of age, different things. It's just, uh, it's Lillian's first novel, and it's just, it's a fantastic introduction to her writing. And uh, Margot has just kind of stuck with me over the years, for sure. Another one is honestly, Any Backlist by Anna Marie McLemore. I have Wild Beauty in my hands, but there are books are literally magic. I don't know how else to say it other than if you want to be immersed in beautiful writing, in strong characters, in just like Latinx mysticism, Anna Marie McLemore's books, like all of them, I'm recommending Wild Beauty today. And then my last one is Gabby Rivera's Juliet Takes a Breath. I know it got reissued last year, but This is another book like featuring intersectional feminism and learning what that is. Juliet is gay and she comes out and she just has an entire journey with that and with intersectional feminism and kind of finding out like what white feminism is in the best way possible. And it's just very fierce and like uncompromising book Gabby Rivera really has such a strong voice and this book is really something very special that I think so many teens could learn many lessons from and enjoy the story and the journey along the way
0: agree i'll i'll co-sign that <laughs> one <laughs> Um well, that wraps up our show. So thank you to today's sponsor for making it possible as well as to our audio editor Jen Zink. You can follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Instagram as hey Kelly Jensen and Carmen, do you want to tell people where they can find you? Absolutely. you can
1: find me on Instagram. My handle is tomes and Textiles, and you can find me on Twitter
0: as tomes Textiles. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing so many excellent books and personal stories. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. And to all of our listeners, we'll see you again next week for the main podcast. And as always, happy reading.